Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So, Dad, I'm ill. Uh, you're really in that kind of millennial... I've got double pneumonia when you've got a bit of a cold. No, I've got flu, actually. Mm. You can hear it in my voice. No, I can hear that you've got a bit of a cold. No, I've really got flu anyway. I'm not arguing. So you send me text messages saying, I'm dying. I'm not arguing. (laughs) I can't argue this with you. My glands are so Well, listen, I've got a really good idea. I won't speak. You talk less. Yeah, go on. So I'll introduce the podcast this week. So uh, we had a long run of women. And then last week we had Jack Loudon. Which I really enjoyed, actually. I thought Jack was great. Um, I loved his passion for junior football, as you know. And we've now got somebody who is so passionate about football, it's ridiculous. He's so passionate about football. Um, and he's also somebody that I've known for a long time. And, you know, amazingly, even though he was around for a long time, eventually became a Burnley player, which obviously made him a totally good thing. And he helped us get promoted. And he was just mega. Um, but he's quite controversial isn't he he's very controversial and i was reluctant i you guess were, weren't you? You were to having him on the podcast because of his insane reputation really for mm. violence and stuff controversy basically it's almost like he chases it like the sun um but it is a re- it was very interesting and i i think we should say for our listeners now that this is one part of two episodes. Partly basically. because we couldn't shut him up. Because we couldn't shut him up, but we Which did end good. up we did end up talking about much more than we thought we would and he ended up not going to his morning meeting at Fleetwood <laughs> because he wanted to carry on doing the podcast with us. So it, the podcast is two hours long and we thought we'd just split it. So this segment is football focused. Mainly football focused. There's there's other bits. There's there's a lot about his character. But it's mainly football. Mainly and we, football. And then the, the second episode is where we really go into everything else. And, and that's the one mm. where I felt I really kind of got to him in some ways. You got to him? As in, like, you know, challenged him. Yeah. Well, you know, it was interesting. And it was interesting after... Well, we'll talk about afterwards afterwards. But, he, yeah, so it's the first time we've actually done such a long interview that we've split it into two parts. Uh, but I think it's really, really interesting. I I... I I know he's controversial, I know he's got a reputation and all that, but I, as you know, Grace, I speak as a find, and um, I think he's a really, really interesting bloke. It's funny, when I was telling people that I was going up to interview Joe Barton... In Fleetwood. In Fleetwood, people would literally go... (gasps) Mm. He's got this kind of... 
quite scary. Scary reputation. Um, anyway, so let's introduce the first part of so Football part Families one, and Everything in Between. Part one. Part one. Of an interview with <gasps> Joey, Joey Button. So, Joey, how would Joey Barton, the manager, have handled Joey Barton, the player, in your pomp? <laughs> it depends which which, uh, which parts of the personality you ran into. Um, <laughs> certainly as I got older, I was a lot simpler to, to deal with. Still very complex, but a lot simpler than what it was when I was younger. I mean, um, when I, by the time I got to Burnley with, uh, obviously, you know, Sean Dyche, it was, I, I was ready for... I was ready and open to, to, to take on board lots of uh, the gaffers and encouragement. He would still say, though, that you were, you know, one of his more complex players. Yeah, yeah, because I know a lot about the game, so it's, I'm not as straightforward as some managers think. They can just say, do this, do that, and expect the players to do it. You expect the very observant and obedient players. Um, where I've always asked why, like, why are we doing that? What, what's the reason we're doing that? Um, which is major probably difficult to manage at times, certainly for managers who wouldn't have um, the, the, the level of dedication to the profession as, as, as what I look, believe myself to have, and also who have an, an obsessive compulsive personality when it comes to football. Um, and have you still got it now? Yeah, I, I just love what I do, so like football for me isn't a job, it's like it's like a vocation, something that like, I've just always wanted to do. So. Genuinely, like a kid who's still living his dream, you know, as a kid, or only wants to play football. Um, at every opportunity, whenever anybody asked me to think about something new as a career, I was like, no, no, I'm going to play. Even when they were telling me I was too small, not good enough, etc., I was like, I'm, I'm going to play. No one's going to stop me playing. I didn't know at what level, obviously, because that is dependent upon um, other factors rather than your own mindset, yeah. your own constitution. But I always believed. Um, if you want something enough, you can you can achieve it. And I is think it is it true you you when you're in Newcastle you went in and said to Alan Pardew nobody wants you here. Yeah. <laughs> but what right is a player? Got? What would what would you do to a player who walked in now and said Joey we don't want you here? Well, you chin him. I don't think I'd chin him, but you have to you have to put it into context in terms of you know Chris Hutton had taken over the club at a point where it was toxic, I mean, really was toxic. You know, we were in those dressing rooms, we were in the dressing room um, when it, they were relegated, we were in the dressing room when, you know, they couldn't find a manager and Alan Shearer didn't take the position that everyone expected him to take because of a dispute with Mike Ashley. Um, and then Chris and Cole Calderwood, you know, with a great dignity and a great respect, did an incredible job at putting that football club back together piece by piece. Obviously, accumulated in us um, winning the championship in tremendous style, with the club almost emerging as a kind of phoenix from the flames of the disaster that was there less than ten months before. Um, you fast forwarded to we didn't even get to the Christmas period. We made a fantastic start in the Premier League. You know the team was it had a, a nice flavour to it in terms of it had Andy Carroll leading the front line. It had Kevin Nolan. It had people who genuinely cared about the football club and you know all the, the players who, who maybe had contributed negatively towards the demise of Newcastle United had left 
and we were left with a real solid core, a real solid foundation that we felt we could build a football team off from. I loved the area, I was settled in the area, my family was settled and I will speak for a lot of other players when that was the case and we really felt that we could build a really exciting team and you know Chris and Colin Coldwood were a huge part of that and you know for a player to come into a dressing room when we, I think we were eighth or ninth in the Premier League at the time, first season background, not at Christmas yet and, and clearly holding our own in the division above and, and for Chris to be sacked in the manner that he was you know was, was, in my opinion, a disgrace to treat. But then, but then, for you to say to the guy that the board appoints, nobody wants you. What, what's what's just trying to do that? I just told him the truth. Um, he, he he came in and um, Alan's fine. I've, I've I get on with Alan. I had a great working relationship with him in the end. But I'm a man who tells the truth. So um, and I don't really have any respect for authority, um, and that's probably caused me a lot of problems over the years because I do believe. You know, I know the difference between right and wrong. Um, have you I, always been like that? I, I have when very, you were a kid. <clears throat> yeah, and it, it, it's also got me in a lot of trouble. Um, with your parents? With with just a th- with, with school, school teachers, yeah. yeah. Just always kind of been very very headstrong. Like I, I know the difference between right and wrong. You know, someone's bullying or somebody's. I would always. Um, chart my own course because the, when I grew up. The laws are slightly different to the laws that everybody else now, as a 37-year-old man, that my my that I operate by. But you know, you grow up on a council estate in Liverpool, and you know the the rules and regulations aren't necessarily uh, enforced at all times, or or the certain other rules and regulations that are enforced. You know wh- where you come from. You you know there's. You, it's, there's a kind of an, an Omar to kind of feel to you. But what about if you were players here? <laughs> well, if, could you manage a team full of Joey Barnes when you were, you know, when you were headstrong as a player? Yeah, you, I don't think you'd ever want any group where everyone thinks the same. Would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't want a group where every personality is the same. But I, I mean, you know, I don't want to talk about myself in a third person. But that, that element of my personality. So, you know. I, I, I have to fight with every sinew in me being to become a professional footballer, um, which meant, you know, 13, 14, 15, when all your friends are getting into what 13, 14 and 15-year-olds get into, you have to chart a different course. You have to remain steadfast to what you want to be, which is a footballer. And in the midst of that, you've got, you know, parents divorced. It's quite t- traumatic when you when you analyse it now, looking back, for, for me as an adult, you know, you, but I just didn't miss a beat. I just moved out with my dad, went to live with my grandmother's, presumed that's what everybody else did. It was perfectly normal. Um, then you get released by Everton very quickly off the back of that. The Boyle Club, I grew up with a, you know, just idolised, wants to play for Everton, would have played for Everton for, for absolutely nothing, just wants to be a, pull the Royal Blue jersey on and run out to the Z cars at Goodison Park. So in a, in, a, in a quite a short yeah, space of time, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, in quite a short space of time, you had quite a few traumatic events that happened to you. So you, you kind of feel, wow, I'm on my own in the world. You know, you, you've got your obviously family, and but you, your kind of family hub has kind of been broken. I wouldn't say broken so much, but definitely disrupted. Um, so so you obviously. You're becoming a teenager, you feel like you're becoming an adult, you know, you're going through puberty and all these kind of things, and then 
you realise, wow, I've got to fend for myself here. Like, no one's going to fucking take care of me. You know, unluckily for me, I can't rely on, you know, my father to set the, 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 the course of the journey for me, you know, where I'm, my kids are, you know, would see me as that kind of figure. And I was, weirdly, my dad was at the game last Saturday, we were having a chat about this, because, you know, sometimes with your parents, no doubt you get this grace where, you, where they go on and they tell you, and you're just like, for fuck's sake, like... <laughs> Do you well, not I've think I'd want to live in the world? Like, do you know, <laughs> like what, you aren't what? the only one who lives in the world and was young once and stuff like that. So, so have them conversations with, with your dad, you know, and at the end of the day, he was a guy who was just trying to do his best. You know, he's obviously had an issue with his partner at the time, my mum, who was, was his wife, and, and they went their separate ways and, and moved on with their lives. But where I'm from, you don't really talk about that, so nobody ever goes, this is why this has happened, it just mm. kind of happened. And then it's left in the ether. Did of, you ever talk about it when it, it was It just on? wasn't spoken about it. It's kind of a northern stoicness that we just don't do emotion, do we? It's not a, a done thing in the north <laughs> at that time. What about the... Um, the, the where do you think the, the sort of violence in your personality comes from? Because there is a kind of... there's a. There's a whole track for sure. From from when I was a kid, it's just it was around me. You had to be violent to survive. Like it's it's um, you know you see it now, and you see uh, you know reading papers in London, knife crimes and this epidemic. That's and I can totally understand it. It's completely and utterly normal for me. Um, And you know when you've lived in those areas, there's not many life choices. There's not many options and. Some people uh, manage to get out and, you know, whether it's in music bands, whether it's via school and having a, a great education and knuckling down into that, or whether it's via sport, you know, the, 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 there is ways out, but I do feel in the modern world, I think they're becoming less and less. And but do you think you, you couldn't escape that, like, mentality? I, I might struggle now. I, I really might struggle now. Um, I think if I was... Six, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Now, I think it's it's a lot more geared against those kids getting out, mainly because of you know the way football, you know, mm. my pathway football is taking young kids now from all over the world. When I was coming through, they were only taking them from all over the UK and and Ireland. It was yeah. very rare you seeing a fifteen-year-old come from Argentina or which is commonplace in some of the academies now. So when you were a teenager, did you really see football as, like, the way out? Yeah, the only way. Yeah, I knew, I knew, if, I didn't, if, I knew if I didn't go and play football, there's a likelihood I'd, I'd end up being killed or, or killing people. So it's so quite you, you think that's choice. where, then, the obsessiveness of football came from? No, I, I just loved it. I, I genuinely loved from as early as I can remember. But when he asked people about me, you know, aunties, uncles, the, the, all they ever say is just remember you having a ball at your feet from from the earliest memory of you we ever have. So I, I was fortunate, you know, because, but I, by the way, listen, I, I played with lots of better players than me who are now dead or serving time in jail for the rest of their lives. A lot better footballers than I was, seeing, seeing them, played against them. You know, Liverpool's that way. There's that many good players, but, you know, I was at... A uh, funeral of a, a friend of mine's granddad the other day died 83, very well respected man in the city. And the amount of people who will talk about footballers, and but they never got out. They, 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 they got caught up in 
Are these the ones who go around for the rest of life saying they want to sort of try out a tram? Yeah? No, you, you meet all them. Every every time you go for a pint, you'll you'll run into one of them. It doesn't. That's not synonymous with with like Liverpool. That's something that is every pub across the land. <laughs> these are genuine good footballers, football yeah. talent. Who, who mm. people say he was better than. You know, you, you hear it about the Busby Babes, and you see Duncan Edwards, and you hear the the the, the eulogies about how good they could have been. Well, this is the same, just on an amateur scale, yeah. to go, this player was better than Steven Gerrard yeah. at 13, 14, 15, <coughs> but he never, ever got to be better than him at 25, 26. Because so listen, this is, this is a dead easy one for you. We ask all our interviewees, on a scale of 1 to 10, how big a football fan are you? Football fan? On a scale of 1 to 10, at 10? No doubt. Yeah, it's uh, it, as I say, it's it's my life. It's Do you like, dream about football? I don't really dream Do as such. Not? No, I'm not really someone. Who Are dreams. your family into football? Uh, my little lad is is loves it. My little girl tries to pay attention, but as a little girl, um, and my missus just kind of sees the results as Mood. where yeah. my mood's going to be. <laughs> although, like I, although I am fantastic. I, moving past that now I wasn't last season I was very much I was in the result for a 48 hour period. and what about when you were a player when I was a player were you it in was, the result yeah or? good it could be at least a week really yeah yeah depending and did you dislike the players who didn't feel that uh, no I just I accepted that I was uh, I was very fortunate to meet a man called Peter Kay at Spawn Chance Clinic who was a yeah, yeah. fantastic uh friend first and foremost and became a great mentor of, uh, and we just had a great friendship and, if, and until I met him I was I deeply misunderstood a lot of, about myself and a lot about how it kind of got to the point in life at, at where I was at. Did he help you work out that you're an addictive personality? Yeah he, he helped me he helped me understand addiction he helped me understand mainly the you know the condition of being a human being and and why we do what we do and, and try to understand why things have happened so you can stop them from, from happening again. Um, and I'd been doing psychology or that kind of male psychology since I was probably about 21, 22 because I was flawed and I and knew I that, was flawed and I was trying to get better. Is that when you sort of worked out that you had OCD? I don't think I've got OCD. I'm, oh, I, right. I wouldn't class myself as OCD. I just think I'm obsessive. I, I get really obsessive about whatever I'm into. So I, if you if you know, I don't really have a great concept of time, which is main source of a lot of the domestic disputes in our household. <laughs> um, because I'm in the moment. Whatever I'm doing, I'm doing 100. percent And it, it's a it's a character trait that really annoys me. It, like it annoys me my time management. But. Anyone I'm with knows I'm completely with them I'm, uh, at that moment. When but do you know, as a manager now of young players, who doubtless many of them have exactly the same time management issues, <laughs> yeah. does that not make it incredibly difficult? Because they think, yeah. well, if he doesn't care about time, why should I care about well, time? Well, this is the thing. So that therefore, becoming a manager makes you a better person because you're forced to address things as a player or as a human being that you're doing anyway that you now have to change for the group dynamic. So... You know, as I said before, in terms of empathetic skills, I was very, very low on the spectrum. I'm kind of quite a matter-of-fact man. Very simply, 
that's what needs to be done, let's get it done. So I think I'd also want to think back to my childhood. I think if I'd have gone into the military or if I got into martial arts at a younger age or if I got into something with which required incredible discipline, which football was for me, I think I was just looking for discipline. I knew I needed discipline and structure in, 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 a, in an environment where I didn't have a great amount of discipline and structure. So I always sought that out. Um, so when you look at it now and you go, you know, for me, I'm going, okay, there was many, many moments in my life where there was sliding doors moments. And by the way, I'll, we all know me rap sheet and we all know how close I've come to absolutely throwing it all away at certain points. Um, but I think... What was the closest, by the way? I think going to jail. Mm. I think genuinely going to jail. Um, well, 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 actually, I, I presumed it was when I went to jail. I thought, that's the end, that's as low as I can get. And when I got to jail, I realised, fucking hell, you've... You don't know what rock bottom looks like. Like you're so far off rock bottom. It's because untrue. of the other people you were seeing. Because of the other people you were seeing. Because you know, and I, I like anything. I try to use everything to my advantage. So, you know, maybe it's just a quality that you have, no doubt, to, to to have the political career you have. You have to be able to 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 be adaptable and you know deal with people. And I, I'm convinced if you put me in strange ways as I was, I can find a way of. Not only surviving, but but adapting to the environment. You know, very very adaptable human being, and using the time as wisely as I could. In how long were you chaos. there for? I did a month in uh, Walton in Liverpool, and then I got moved to Strangeways for the the latter part of my sentence. Now that doesn't seem much on the surface because Walton's like Category B, Category C prison, so it'll only have a certain type of prisoner but strange ways is category A so yeah I mean you're not in with those kind of prisoners but they're all around you so it's you know you'd be playing short tennis and you know I used to I've wrote about this in the book I used to have a fantastic short tennis partner very very competitive games he's a guy from the Czech Republic who was in serving 28 years recommended sentence for coming to this country and assassinating someone <coughs> so it's literally like you know and then and then you'd be playing backgammon or chess with a guy who's in from Monaco on a white collar uh, fraud of millions of pounds and you, you know you, everybody's there everybody's and it's it, it, there's a kind well, of did anybody come looking for you? no it's, it's, I mean, it's, like, not, it's know, not that kind of place you know this is the thing if you if you're not switched on, yeah, of course, of course, they would. You know, people would sense weakness in it, in everybody. And so, what was your demeanour when you went in there? Just my everyday demeanour, like, you know, you, you go in, you're quite scared. You're going into a into a prison. You, where, were, you, know, you were scared. Of course, you are. Completely. If I wasn't, you'd be mm. psychologically probably needing to go to Broadmoor and not uh, Strangeways or Walton. You know, you would be. Um, a very very dangerous person. If you went into a jail and you wasn't fearful for all the other thing, all what was things, the, what was the fear? Well, it'd be it'd be the fear of violence. Mm. You know, you you, you, were, in, were you in an establishment that... where it's very where there's very very violent people who were convicted of violence. But were you worried that you would become violent in there? Well, of course, because if you back into a corner and you have a decision to make whether you want to live or die, then. You know, you might have to take somebody's life away from them so that you don't lose your life. That is a, a scenario that could present itself in in that kind of place. But it's a scenario that would present itself on the school bus sometimes when someone would pull a knife out or, you know, you, you'd 
you'd be in Liverpool city centre and you'd mm. be in the wrong part of the city centre at the wrong time with not the right, right amount of people. So it, it's. Did you it's, get? Did you did you get into any fights in there? No, because it, you know you you smart so if you if you want to fight and you you've got that kind of demeanor you you will find one but it's like like on the streets isn't it if you if you if you got your wits about you then very very quickly you can separate the people who do and listen there's a there's a huge audience for people who want to have a fight and want to take drugs and want to cause chaos in prisons or in society you know they don't go into prison and then all of a sudden go right let's stop doing that and mm. they go into prison and just continue their behavior but when you came out did you say to yourself, that's the last time I'm going in there? Yeah, of course you do, yeah. You, d- you don't want to have your liberty taken away from you. I mean, it's, it's, it's not nice to have somebody lock a door on you and say you can go to the toilet at this time or you can go for a walk at this time or use the gym at this time. And you realise, you go, OK, how did they get here? How did this transpire? How's it come about? And you, you try to put checks and balances in place where, where that doesn't happen again. You know, if I'm in a city centre as a young 23, 22-year-old drinking an excessive amount of alcohol to escape the pressures of my everyday life, me, me trying to survive at the top table of English football, um, going out and people recognising you know what, and you're just like, I'm just a kid off a council state, I just want to play football. I just want to go out and have a game of football with my mates on a Saturday. I don't want to be famous, I don't want this... You've got to be a role model. I'm not ready. I didn't have a role model. I don't know how to be a role model. I just know how to play football. Nobody's taught me how to manage money, behave myself. Mm -hmm. I'm just a human being. I'm Mm. I'm flawed. I'm not trying to be anything I'm not. And then the media get hold of your caricature and they go, right, there's this pantomime villain. We can fit him Mm. in this box. And before you know it, the the dice is is loaded. Do you Um, still feel you have that label? I don't, I, I don't think you ever get rid of them, do you? Mm. I mean, you know, Tony Blair, for, for all the great he done, will always have, you know, the stigma attached to him of of smears. I mean, we don't really know what went on. I'm not, I wasn't, I, you know, I didn't have that level of government clearance to see what went on. I wasn't privy to the conversations. All we have is what the media know. aftermath of, and, and, and the world we live in now, we, we don't know what is what's truth what you know fact is you keep people saying this is a fact and you're like well is it an internet fact is it a genuine fact what it what is it and i think it's this confusion you know you see yesterday another terror attack in london it, you know we, the film comes out the joker if you watch it and you watch it somebody who has a psychological take on the world and tries to read the world and analyze it as best he can to make sense of it you know, the, the, everybody's seeing the film and the Joker being dangerous, and, and actually, it's happening in every fucking city. And every you go to a hospital, and I was playing Five Aside Monday. My mate went to a hospital. He fell over in Five Aside, damaged his elbow. Went to the hospital to get an X-ray, and there's there's people in there with their entire belongings in a hospital waiting room. I mean, it's scary that we've we've let our society get to this point, and that we think it's okay for people to be um, treated like that. I just think what, are you gonna, what are you going to vote from the election? I, I'm going to vote uh, Labour. Because I'm a boy from a working uh, class family in Liverpool. And I just can't... I, I'm not entirely pleased with where the Labour Party is at this moment in time, but I think... Because? 
I think it'll be better for society. No, but why, why are you not entirely pleased? I, I just don't like the, the, the leadership element of it. I don't think it's a strong leadership. I, I, I do like Jeremy Corbyn in, as, as a human being. I don't think he's a bad man. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he's a, a good person with good principles. But I just don't see him as a legitimate leader of What do you think about Boris Johnson? I, I, again, I, think, I don't think he's a bad fella. I don't think he's a bad person. I don't know, know him well enough. Who say that. I don't know him well enough. Right. I, I, I never met him, so I don't know him well enough. But I don't trust him. Um, hmm. I don't feel he's got the best interests of the north of England. Uh, <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, behind him, and uh, you know, when you see some of the other characters on the periphery, Michael Gove, Reese Mogg. I just don't like them. If I'm honest, I don't trust them. I don't trust what they'll do. I don't trust... Um, I wouldn't go for a pint with them. Um, I wouldn't want them in my football club. I wouldn't pick them in my team. If I had them in my building, I'd get them all out of here as soon as I could for the harmony of uh, the group. So if I wouldn't have you them in my building, then why would I vote for them as would leaders you, of the country? I know I'd have Corbyn in the building. He'd need policing. He wouldn't be the leader of the building. He'd need... Um, <laughs> Lots of lots direction of, yeah. um, to channel his energy in, in the right way. Lots of management, but <laughs> I think there's, there's, there's the core principles of a good, solid person in there. Would you go on question time again? Uh, yeah, I think I would. Uh, I think they tried to ridicule me when I went on because I think what I actually said, you know, the premise of, of many of the arguments that were raised on the show. I think what I said stands the test of time. I think if you go back and analyse what I'd said about the UK party, I know they all jumped on the, the comments about the four ugly uh, mm-hmm. people, but I think it was true at the time. It was a, maybe a poorly... Did you uh, get a lot of backlash for that? I did, but I, I think the analogy was superb. I actually looked back <laughs> and go, I couldn't have actually worded it. It came out because I use a lot of analogies in you know, in, in it, and, and people don't understand how much I prepared for the show, so I, I was well. Yeah, well, because I can imagine. You, were you really nervous? Well, well, of course, because it was yeah. setting me up to fail. What I knew they were only to let, get me on to take the piss out of me. So, you know, you walk into that scenario, and it's a lovely spot to go into being underestimated. It's what I, I came yeah. into this job underestimated. Everybody thought I'd be fa- fired within six weeks. They thought the owner was insane for giving me the job. And let's be honest, I'm as good a manager as anybody in the country and mm-hmm. growing very, very quickly. You're as good a manager as anybody in the country? At my age, I'm the youngest manager. I think I'm as good a manager as anybody at my age in the country. There's nobody as good as me at my age with my level of experience. I think... Listen, if, Sean, if Sean went to a different job, would you go for the Burnley job? <laughs> I'd love to manage Burnley. I love the club, I'll, you know that, it was a great part, but I don't ever see him leave. I, I weirdly can't imagine Burnley without, without the gaffer, I can't. Yeah, but it's, he's older than you, so... He is, but he's not that old. Yeah, but he's not, he's not, I, don't think, I don't think he is as obsessed about football as you are. No. I can see him moving on to a different life, even. Ah, uh, see, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine Burnley without him because I, I only know Burnley through those great times I had and obviously the gaffer as the, the leader. Who was the best manager you ever worked with? Yeah, him. Sean Dyche, yeah. Really? He just, he just, got, he, he just got me, do you know what I mean? So it, and, and I think I got him. It was just no BS, just mm. two solid fellas just said what we're going to do and, and did it. Who was the... Because who, uh, uh, you, you had Keegan... Keegan, yeah, but I was too young. I mean, I've, I've met Kevin subsequently and um, 
apologised for, and, and that's. Uh, well, apologised for being who you were. You, you, uh, what you find is, especially when you when when you when you're somebody who's constantly trying to improve as a person, you have to go back and, and challenge some of the things that you said and done when you were. So, younger. what was the worst thing you did with Kevin? I just don't think. I think I always seen the worst in him. So I was a young player in the dressing room at the time, and he wasn't a strong manager. Listen, let's make no bones about it. He, he wasn't a. He, he was a fantastic football man. Um, probably the most natural enthusiasm. And I remember watching Bill Shankly's. Uh, there's a great BBC documentary about mm. Shankly, and Shankly's on there talking, and he's great socialists uh, I think Bill was a great socialist and, and did incredible things for, for the city of Liverpool for the people of Liverpool and it sh- showed what what football could be and I think in many ways set the example for all of us you know so similarly in, in, in our own little way in Fleetwood we're trying to do that trying mm. to lift up the, the area yeah, via, via the football team mm. trying to bring uh, confidence and a belief back to the, the the area via sport. You know, make make them proud of mm. something, mm. give them something to be proud of. And I think Bill did that with his football team. I think Sean's done that with with Burnley because I remember going to Burnley with Man City when I was very very young, nineteen or twenty, and there was a real racist undercurrent. There was a real national front uh, kind of hotbed, and I remember thinking, "Whoa, this is." This is a bad place. This is a this is a town that's dangerous. This is a dangerous place, really, because it's a, it's a it's a real melting pot. You know, it's a real it looked felt like a powder keg that something bad could happen here. And then going back as a player and being part of it and going, no, actually, these are good people. This is a good. But had that just, changed? It's just in been that time. it's just been yeah. deprived. Mm. It's just been deprived. But the football team, I brought Premier League football back and. It brought multicultural people to the area and diversity to the area, and I think it just made everyone go, "Okay, we've got something." This is not time to become very, very xenophobic. This is time to become <coughs> part of a bigger community. And I Who think, was your worst manager? I think that's unfair, do you mean? Because all right, well, give, give me give me some of the managers that you worked with. You've, you've said Sean. You've talked about Kevin. Were there, were there any, you know, just give us some sense of the different sorts of management Well, well there was had. an article last week, Al, which was about Fleetwood, which was in The Athletic by uh, Daniel Taylor, who's a former Guardian uh, journalist, which he, and he wrote about um, kind of Fleetwood having no black first-team players, no black starting players, and it is, it's, it's, an, it's a strange statistic um, that, that you sometimes miss, you know, uh, being as consumed in football as you are, you know, I remember going, when I went up to Glasgow, and part of my failings up there really was I missed the key thing, which was I actually don't give a shit about what religion you are. It doesn't bother me. I'm from Liverpool. The school that I went to was St Agnes. Across the field was Sylvester, Catholic, Protestant, Celtic, Rangers, Everton, Liverpool. Nobody cared. That's uh, X. He's a great footballer. That's him. He's really good at boxing. He's really good at... Uh, Table tennis, or he's a good runner, or he's up to no when you say he's, you a good, he's a good it, shoplifter. You, or, when you say you missed it, you must have known that was what it was going to be. No, like. it wasn't. Tr- you, you were judged on your merit. It was a very much a merit. No, I'm talking about Glasgow. When I went up to Glasgow, I realised there's something at play here that's mm. not just judging someone on the merits. Right, but the bad Barton came out in Glasgow, didn't it? No, 
No? No, no, no. It, uh, well, I, the, I got, the unmanageable Barton came out. Uh, no, I, I, I got myself into a position that was untenable, um, which could I handled it differently yet 100% I could have. What happened there then? Well, I, I was given up playing in the Premier League to go and try to reset an institution of football's uh, daily procedures, <laughs> which needed reset. In other words, um, he went in and decided, this is crap, and I'm going to tell everybody it's crap, no, including I, I, the manager. I, I, I went in, and I'd bear in mind, people, you know, the context of this is I'd left Burnley, which was probably the best working environment I'd ever been in, and I left Burnley pretty much because Dicey's a tight bastard, let's be honest. He, he didn't want to pay me market rate. He didn't want to give me fair value in the market. He's and not tight. He's not he tight. He's managing so, his resources. He is tight. He's tight. <laughs> not with himself. Not with himself. Um, I bought dinner and, last and, night, and I've, I've told him this. He knows this. Um, and he, he runs the club as if he's spending the money himself, which is a fantastic thing to do. And he runs the football club and he's do, he does incredible things for the football club. But he's tight. He's tight. I'm telling you, he's tight. So you went to Glasgow? Went to Glasgow because I told them it was going to cost them £10 million to replace me. I said, look, I know, I've done the numbers. It's, it's basic economics. I know what I'm worth in the marketplace. I know you're not going to give me it because I know it'll break your wage structure. I've also given you a, a year last year where you know you, you know the, what you thought you were signing and what you actually signed. Burnley Player of the season, club. player of the year. I, I wouldn't go as far as to Just say about. that. But, but, you know, the, you thought you were signing a loose cannon. I told you in your kitchen you, you weren't. I told you there's a lot about me that is is misunderstood. But if you're proper and you plug me into it, great things will happen. And that's what we had at Burnley that year. And he'd done that with multiple other players and we had a great time. We sat down at the end of the year. We'd won the league, sat down at the end of the year. We having a pint and a curry with all the staff. I was the only player there because that was the relationship we had where it was, you know, we, we respected each other at a great level and we're having a, and I, he said, are you going to sign a new contract? Because we hadn't spoke about it at that point. It was irrelevant. We're, a, we're men of our word. We don't need a contract to say. You know, we'll, we'll deal with it in, in a different manner. With some players, you need the agent speaking to him six months before you need to... But with, with me, it's not. It's quite straightforward. So we sat down. He said he... We'll get you. We'll get it sorted. Don't worry. We'll get it sorted. Me, Ian Rowan, and Rowney's great friend of mine. We'll get it sorted. No problem. So we'll get it sorted. And then what happened was my agent started speaking with the manager, and that's when egos got involved. And uh, everybody in a negotiation needs to win. No doubt you've been in many political ones where what needs to happen and what actually happens in the end because of people's egos are two totally different things. So we get it to a point where it, it's not going to happen. And Rangers sense that, got me up, you know, asked, could I speak to them? I spoke, I spoke to the manager and said, look, I've, I've had, he didn't think I'd leave to go to Rangers. He thought, he's not going to leave the Premier League to go to Rangers. Nobody in their right mind would do that, especially when you can get more money in the Premier League because the gaffer didn't have the career I had where he's financially independent yeah. so you know I don't do anything other f for reasons than I want to do them 
I'm not doing management for any other reason, and I actually want to be brilliant at this. So that, does that mean best you, but, you did, but you'd rather have stayed at Burnley, but you felt you weren't being no, 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 no. I, 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 I was weighing up my options. I, I had a fantastic <coughs> year at Burnley. I, I, I knew what was going to happen the next year. I knew how tough it was going to be to stay in the Premier League. I'd done it before with other clubs. Um, I wanted to be valued. I wanted Daishi to say, "Hey, I love you." I just wanted someone to hug me and love me, which the fans did. And I felt at that key junction, the manager didn't need to give me much, but he just needed to give me a hug. And he started negotiating. And I went, oh, and, and that created a little bit of separation. Rangers got in the middle of that, rolled the red carpet out, sold Rangers. I went up, I, I had to speak to the gaffer, and I thought he'd say, no, you can't go and speak to them. So I phoned them to say, look, I'm still under contract at Burnley. I'm still in negotiations with you. I want to stay. But Rangers have, have, are going to make me an offer. You're not going to give me what I've asked for. Can I go and speak to them? And he said, yeah. So that's almost like you're in a nightclub and you, mm. you're with your wife. and you, <laughs> You're going you to say do the three that, ugly girls again. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, well, he's saying it's okay for me to go and speak to them. Clearly, he's not really that fussed whether I stay or to go. So I went up to Rangers, walked around the trophy room, seeing Ibrox, seeing the training ground. I thought... Okay, this is a bit of me. Somebody needs to come here and resuscitate this football club. This this manager, for me, is maybe a little bit weak. But Warburton. Yeah, a little bit weak. Lacks lots of things. I think you need to become the leader of a football and institution. But I can help him. Um, and this at thirty three, this is a great project. You know, that takes me to 35, 36. I want a coach, I want a manager, I want to stay in the game. But I can learn how to win leagues. You know, I went to Marseille to try and win the league, finished second because PSG was strong. I'd won leagues in England, but it was in the championship. It was at Newcastle and obviously at Burnley and then the playoffs, the three years I was in the champ. And I'd never won the Premier League and I'd never been in a position to have a team and be in a team to win a Premier League because I didn't have the talent as a player to be to be good enough to get in a team that was good enough to win the Premier League. So most of my career was spent trying to get into the Europa League and, and then mm. left City to get into Newcastle, which was the team trying to get in the Champions League. And it never quite, I never quite got there. I also never quite got into the England team on a regular basis. I got a sniff of it and on the edge Did of it. Did that was your personality? I don't know. No, I think it was the fact that Frank Lampard, Steve yeah, Gerrard, yeah, yeah. and Paul Scholes, and yeah. a lot you, of good players were here. Al. Yeah. Do you think that there were points where you know the violence and I guess stuff that also happened in your personal life meant that some people didn't want to work with you or were afraid? To yeah, work for with sure. You? Yeah, I mean, a lot of managers will have avoided me because of the conflict. You know, as a manager, there's conflict around you every single day of the week. If you want it, I can open me off a store and find something to be unhappy about or so a player to take the task didn't want the you just think oh, I don't need this for an easy life because that's what you see from the outside but obviously once you get in and beyond that mm. you know like for instance for Daishi you know what if incredible I'd love to have a player like me now love to do you have, see and, I, and I've got a few players do like you me in see the yourself room. in some of the players that you're managing now I try to recruit them and, and, and manage them so and really you do them. want a team of Joey Buttons why wouldn't you <laughs> especially if you understand them because if I understand myself yeah. what, you know you don't want a full team um, 
but you want you want people who do have a lot of the principles because the great principles, especially in the in, in the north. Does it annoy you when players like that you're managing aren't sort of as obsessed as you'd like them to be? Yeah, yeah. Because why would you not want to be obsessed about this job? You know, it's a job where you get to pay to play football, to stay fit. But you must know that a lot of footballers don't really love football. I, I don't understand that. Don't understand. I don't understand how you can do anything in life and not love it. Don't. I, I, I take my hat off to like my dad didn't like roofing. I know he didn't like roofing. He didn't love it. But he got up at six o'clock every morning and went out and put tiles on the roof and felt and bad. But there'll be some players him. coming into training now. But not football, Al. Fuck's sake. I get you don't like roofing. I'm with you on that. No, but there, are, the there are players but that, not to that play definitely football. aren't obsessed with the game. I, I can't understand that. I, I genuinely can't understand that. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I don't understand that. But to get good at it, you've got to have loved it at some point. Yeah, that is true. But I remember Jamie Carragher saying that he played with lots of different players who definitely just would clock off as soon as they'd leave, wouldn't watch the games after, wouldn't watch other games. Yeah, but you're using Jamie Carragher as your, like reference tool for psychology and you have to say Jamie Carragher spent all his career at one club which was in the city he was born he, he only ever dealt with players who weren't from the city he was born in terms of that they love Liverpool well they don't know what it means to play for Liverpool that's why Everton my, my club mm-hmm. is in a mess because Everton's full of people who don't understand what Everton is why is Burnley doing so well because Sean Dyche gets Burnley he understands what the town needs, what the, what the people need, what makes them work. And every football club is different. Fleetwood Town is a fishing port on the Fylde Coast, which has had its main industry severely disrupted. Mm. And you know, you've got to understand the people that, you, that are turning up to watch you on a Saturday. You've got to understand what they like, what they want to see, what, mm. what they want to see on the pitch as a representation of them. When did you know that Glasgow wasn't working out? Uh, as soon as you got there or shortly thereafter? Pretty much, yeah. Because well, p- people like you to get you in the building, don't they? That's, that's the thing. I don't. I just tell you the truth. And I got that from Daishi. Tell the truth going in and then everything's pretty much straightforward. And, and, and coming back to Burnley... Yeah, we just sat and had a frank conversation. And, and, and I, have to, I must square that circle for you of the Daishi one. So I go to Rangers. So contract offer from Burnley. I'm like, it's, n- it's not right. It's, 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 not, it's not correct. By the way, I'm not blaming him for that. So, anyway, okay. <laughs> so, contract offer at Burnley. I, see, I do because I know he does all the contracts, or he did. He doesn't now, I think, because Mike Riggs got in there, but at the time, nothing happens without Daishi's sign off, yeah. in my opinion. He's the boss. He's an old, fa- he's like Fergie at Man United. He's, he's the boss. So, I go to Rangers. Rangers offer me a lot less than Burnley, yeah. but roll out, but give me a lot more love. I didn't realise at the time I was also. Bullshitted. It's just part of the cell, but and I get it, and I kind of think, you know, you know, you know, there's a bit of nonsense in there, but you think, well, most eighty percent, you know, Pareto's law, eighty percent will be be true, and you get up there and you realise it was more than that. So I come back and I said to Daisha, I'm going to sign for Rangers. I've, I've given them my work. I'm going to sign. I, I look, I'm looking forward to the project. Driving back down. Now Daisha doesn't think I'm going to sign for Rangers because he thinks, why are you going to, why are you going to leave the Premier League? Why are you going to leave more money? He can't understand it because of the way he sees the world. So I come back and I'm like, I'm signing for Rangers. And he's like, oh, no, no. So then he offers me more than what he'd originally offered me. Because he goes, well, that'll get you to stay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I've, I've given me word I'm going to sign for them. Like, I'm off. I'm going. And he, he didn't, he couldn't understand that. And I think once he understood that, 
I think our level of respect for each other grew because he realised I wasn't playing the game for money. He realised that he he played for Northampton and had a career where he probably you know earned a nice living like 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 Fleetwood now. So you know you have lads on a thousand, two thousand pound a week, which isn't a fantastic living for a working class kid from a you know mm. from a from a council estate, but it's not. 350 grand like Mesut Ozil and the money that is at the top of the Premier League tree it's it's still very much a working class sport at this level and Sean grew up with that as a player and probably most of his career was and he will have had a lo- you know he's got a lovely house in Northampton even bigger one now better one now but he had a lovely one at the time and I said to him I've been lucky that I don't have to make decisions I've had a lot of money and been paid a lot of money over my career you pay a lot of back in fines. Yeah, but I've also and, and in tax, by the way, and in yeah, tax, yeah, yeah. which I'm happy to pay. But but also, I, di- I didn't do it for that. <clears throat> if you had said, you know, I remember getting Everton's phone call at 14, telling me I weren't big enough or good enough. And I remember thinking, I, I, I play I, as long as I can play football as a job. Whether as and I can go in and, and the fridge and there's food in the fridge, then I'm ahead of where to start as a kid. So for me, I've I've made something better of myself than what. Is your dream, is your dream in life to end up as Everton manager? No, no, I'd, I'd love to do it because I think I'd be brilliant at it. <laughs> so if you, if you think you'd be brilliant at something, surely you, you, you think about doing them. So Everton or Burnley, that'd be your two. That'd be Marseille, two. Marseille. I'd love to do. Um, Newcastle, I'd love to do. Man City, I'd love to do. Uh, because I love playing there. I love playing for the people. I love playing for the fans and they were great with me and I'd love to do... If, if they ever needed it, I'd love to, like I come to Fleetwood and you know Andy Billy I've known and it's I've I've loved doing this at the football club, which is you know people coming to work happy, the kitchen staff, uh, the 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 media st- everybody comes to work now and Enjoy enjoys it, it. And, mm. and that's let's forget the football you know the football you know it can be at times a, a kind of snapshot and a um, you know, you can get results and you can kind of mask over things. I think to, to come in every day and, and try to improve as a person yourself and try to help other people improve and see them happy in their everyday work and life. I don't come to work, I come to therapy. Football, my job is therapy. The players teach me to be a better person all the time. You know, I've been forced in the last 12 months to learn about depression, something that well, I don't suffer with. Experience because of people, players. Players suffer with it. My job's a role of service. I've got to try to help people. It's not the Joy Barton show or what what does Joy Barton want to do or that you know the nonsense of that. You once you're in this job, you quickly get past that in your first six months. Why most managers get sacked in the first six months if they've not done it before? Because the first six months is a whirlwind. Nobody knows they can do this job till you do it. You don't know whether you can manage people till you do it. And as a player, you never have to manage people. You only have to manage a boss. And, and has it gone wrong at moments? Of course it has. We live in a world now where people are shit scared of failing. The only way you get good at things and the only way you learn at things is by failing. Not catastrophically, not every single minute of every single day. But if you don't fail, you don't realise your shortcomings and then you don't address them and you don't try to improve or try to get a different strategy or go, do you know what? I fucked up there. I say to the lads all the time, lads, that's on me, that I need to coach us better. It's not, that's not on you. And I didn't have managers who did that. So I tried to do what I always thought. If a manager just came in and went, you know what, lads, I fucked up. 
players go, fair enough. I don't think enough people in life do that. I don't think enough managers in football do that. And I think the ones that make progress are the ones that say, look, we're all in this together. We're all trying to get better. What is it that you need out of this? How do we help you get that? We've tried to create a culture rather than a cult. Um, and has your temper improved? 100%. As I say, it's a different I'm a better role. human being um, via doing this job because it's therapy. You know, you're forced to think about people and how you can help people. And as I say, put other people ahead of yourself. Whereas as a player, you don't. As a player, you, you're, the, you're the business. If you get an injury or a cruciate ligament, your business is out of action for 12 months and it mightn't get back to the level of business it was before. So you've got to protect... You know, mm. you, you see people now, players, these young players with entourages around them. Yeah, because they're worth hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, Jaden Sancho is legitimately worth £120 million. He's a £120 million business. Mm. He's a kid off a council estate. He's a working-class boy. He doesn't have the infrastructure to run a £120 million business. When you see people like that, do you, do you sort of, like, want to, I guess, help them? Because you've been through that in the sense <coughs> that you were suddenly this you can't, big people, figure. Yeah, you can't, you can't help someone, you know yourself, via addiction. You can only help people who want to be helped. And we all get to a different point where at some point we reach out for help. For me, it was going to jail. For me, it was getting in trouble. For me, it was fighting with teammates. For me, it was just being, just dealing with emotion <coughs> in an aggressive manner. Um, and have, you, thought, have, have you had any points as a manager where you felt like chilling a player? No. Not at all? No. They frustrate Yeah, but... I, I, I've never. I, I always use violence as, as an absolute last, last resort. resort. To okay, there's no other way for me to deal with this. Most Do you wish times, you didn't? So Joey. Joey. Um, that was a long interview, wasn't it? Well, that was a long interview. But that's, that's people have half. people have only got the first half. So. Um, Loved it. I love, love that he admitted the Pardew story like that. Love that he loves Burnley, obviously. Quite confident, isn't he? I'd like to manage Everton because I'd be great at it. Mm -hmm. I'm the best young manager. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of confidence. Always kind of known what he wanted to be, really. Determined. Admits about the violence. Says that the management is giving him a sort of almost form of therapy. Thinking yeah, I mean, there's people. no way he can't not admit the violence because he's done it all. No, but it, but that that sense of he sort um, of talks about why he's like that. Mm, I wonder if he's slightly. I don't know. I thought the but but I think it's really interesting that because I think it would be a nightmare managing a team of Joey Barnes. He sort of gets that, but at the same time, part of his confidence is why wouldn't you man, want to manage a footballer like me? And I, I think it's really interesting, that thing about obsession. It says, you know, I'm a bit obsessed about things. I get really obsessive. So am I, actually. I know. Uh, obsessive about, you know, being so ill at the moment. No, I'm the... just obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I thought it was interesting that that... Th- I, I think it must be difficult for somebody like him. If he, if he, I mean, you know, like Fleetwood, these guys, I don't know what they're on. They're, they're not me- on mega money. Um so a lot of them probably do just see it as a job, and, and I think he finds that really difficult. He wants people who kind of live, sleep, breathe. Mm. I tell you what I was really impressed by was the setup. 
Yeah, the state, the training ground. Oh, it was really, it's really nice. Yeah. I mean, not just nice, but like you know, they. I would reckon they've got as many backroom staff as Burnley, not far off. Yeah, it was cool. We went down into the changing rooms. There gave was music playing. Gave you a coat. Got a chocolate bar. <laughs> lush. Um, went out on the training pitch. Yeah. So yeah, I think that for for me, the the more kind of like the stuff that I was much more interested in is coming in the next episode because yeah. obviously football. I've I've always fascinated to listen to Joey talking about you know all of the different challenges that he's sort of taken on at the different clubs he's been mm. at. Mm. But in the next episode, I really feel there's a lot of us. There's a lot of stuff that I could really you know what, feminism, feminism, Chad Evans, Chad Evans, um, um, toxic masculinity, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Women's football. Interesting stuff Women's on that. Women's football, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. So that'll be... Next week. Next week. Yeah. Cool. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.